On today's episode, Jason and I continue our discussion on what do people and businesses really sell, as most entrepreneurs out there have no clear understanding of this. We go through topics like connection economy businesses, what industrial economy titans would do in the face of billion dollar losses, and how to make your business bulletproof. You're listening to Digital Bacon FM. Yes, it is. 10 a.m. on a Friday morning. That was Bibulakis, reason or passion, of course. A man who knows much about both of those things. Our one and only marketing maestro, the man, the legend, Stephen Barnes. Good morning. Uh, yes, a very good morning to you, Mr. Black. It's a uh, wet and dreary day here in Hong Kong, just between the sort of, on the cusp, I should say, of... Uh, spring and summer and uh i understand you've got snow on the mountains uh in the drakensberg it's cold it was one degree at uh 6 30 yesterday morning i was very pleased that it had reached three degrees by 9 30 it's time to unpack the willy warmer i was going to say yeah two two degrees between you know one and three can make all the difference <laughs> definitely it's measured in inches in this place <laughs> 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 um, well, I still say no more about that. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. And you, you know that it's getting cold when the voice gets squeaky. Right. So, picking up from where we left off last week, what do you really sell? Right. Yeah. So, again, just uh, as always, just a quick context. Uh, this is about um, marketing in the modern era as we move from an industrial economy to a connection economy. Everything changes, opportunities to introduce new business models. We're seeing, you know, lots of new internet-based connection economy type business models manifesting themselves, uh, you know, quite frequently now. Um, and uh, we've created one such business model, which we've captured as intelligent content marketing. And uh, I kind of encapsulated the essence of what that concept is. This, in fact, an idea virus is in a movie called... Uh, Monopoly, how to build one from nothing with no money invested. Uh, it tells the story of the Hong Kong Visa Center and uh, how we've manifested this new way of doing or providing what I should say is kind of an old service. Um, and over the last few uh, few months now, really, it's been a while since we've been on this um, particular uh, voyage together. Um, we've been looking at the sort of the DNA of uh, intelligent content marketing. Uh, and we're going through a presentation that I uh, put together that shows um, essentially how this material can be broken down into 10 modules, 36 chapters. And we're presently uh, just coming out of the, the end, uh, coming up to the end of module seven uh, and in the chapter 25, which is, as you said, what do you really sell? So mm. um, just to sort of segue into what's about to sort of be, be discussed uh, last week, we uh, talked about you know, when you are experiencing something, what you're really buying. So if you have beer and pizza, for example, what you're really having, you're buying is good time with friends. And uh, when you go with Uber, uh, what you're really buying is getting to your destination on time. Let me promotion of happy families and lasting memories. Yeah. Let me stop you right there because breaking news this morning, BBC Uber posted a $1 billion loss after their flotation. So the question would be, why do I want a connection economy business and we're going to lose that much money? Well, that's a great question, Mr. Black. A fantastic question. And I tell you, I, I tell you, I think I know what's going on. Mm. 
Um, right. Do you remember in the early days? Because you're old <laughs> enough to. <laughs> that was loaded. Yeah, go on. Do you remember when the story was all about Amazon repeatedly losing money, but investors increasingly putting money into it and the valuation just getting bigger and bigger and bigger and bigger and bigger? Yeah. And it seemed that, you know, this sort of new economy thing wasn't, well, it was based on sorcery and witchcraft, really. It didn't make any sort of rational economics based Snake on what had passed previously. Indeed. But lo and behold, fast forward, you know, half a generation from then, and what you've got is uh, an incredibly powerful business that uh, is monopolizing all the all those areas. Ultimately, they, they, they turn their attention to. So, so from that, and based on my own experience, uh, it's it, it, I got a, a certain level of confidence in saying that those in the money that have got money in those deals that realize when they're investing into them, the play that they're investing into is the eventuality of an entrenched position in a market with the ability to deliver a service and become an, as common as the sort of the dial tone is on the telephone. So that's what those plays are all about. Now, if you kind of think of it through that prism, you know, you then turn, your mind is sort of turned away from the sort of the mechanics of what it is that they're involving in or sensibly to generate the revenue and deliver a service and what have you. And you, you shift over to the thinking behind the strategy and to, to you know, what, what, what do those money, what do those smart people in the know know that mere mortals don't? That warrants them to keep putting their money in, right? Mm. Um, and I think that's uh, that's that's a fundamental of the uh, of the, the the shift that we move from the industrial to the connection economy. All right. So as the new, these new business models manifest themselves, there becomes an opportunity to become part of the social fabric that adds value into you know the lives of, of humans that that, that uh, you know represent that social fabric. Um, so these are uh, these are things that we're experiencing in our own in our own business model, right? Because we, as you know, we publish on Hong Kong immigration and produce content that answers questions and helps solve problems and allows jobs to be done to get done. And we create relationships and goodwill out of helping people what is for free in a scalable way, you know, via our websites. And then out of those relationships comes the opportunity of service and what we really sell is peace of mind. Uh, and all, you know, and the more that we publish, and the more that we understand the role that that phenomenon of answering questions and solving problems and helping jobs to get done, wrapped up in the, the, you telling your story of who you are, we understand that phenomenon as a means of really generating opportunities to make money by delivering a service in in those particular areas. Uh, and I'm conscious of, of 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 the power of this, which is why we invest so much out of our meager revenue, so to speak, that we get from Hong Kong immigration because it's a very small market. And we, 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 you know, we're investing aggressively into other service areas using exactly the same intelligent content marketing ideas because uh, we know even though it's going to take us some while to, to, to get a return on our investment, the, the, the absolute return on the investment that, that does eventuate if you, if you know what you're doing, you keep at it. Uh, gives you this true sort of monopoly position, and out of that you can, you know, engineer a, a whole array of other opportunities for yourself. So, so I think that's what's underlying, you know, the the thing with Uber that you mentioned. Now, now, do you think industrial titans like the Charlie Mungers and uh, the Warren Buffetts, people that have been in the game for a very long time, who are centered in those old world sort of businesses, do you think they would have 
kept their oar in the water with any of those businesses like Coca-Cola or any of them if they had a billion dollar loss? Um, and well, what's, if yeah, not, think, what's changed between investors today and investors from previous? Well, no, let's look, well, okay. So let's try and answer that in the context of, you know, Charlie Munger and Warren Buffett. So their, their entire investment philosophy is value investing, which is, which is essentially a formula that they have used successfully, which is based on, um, 19th century economists work. I think it was, um, but ultimately what they did was that they understood that you could, apply this investing formula to businesses that were operating then in, in only the industrial economy because that's all there was um, and, and and use their acumen and and their increasing access to capital to create you know huge value as they've done in, in, in Berkshire Hathaway and then you know as the as the sort of the digital era began uh, and certainly during the dot-com boom I mean it was Warren Buffett was noteworthy for not having gone into any of those businesses or any of those companies. And and he said at the time the reason why uh, he wasn't doing it is because he couldn't understand it. Mm. And so he preferred to stand on the sidelines and, and in a sense, watch everybody else sort of get on with it uh, and, and then really kind of, you know, wait until such a time as he had enough data to make some decisions as to kind of really understood what was going on. Um, anyway, they, they maintained uh, for many, many, many years, probably the first decade and a half, I think it might have been that you could say we were in the new connection, you know, digital connection, connected economy, uh, where they were noteworthy in their absences from um, actually making investments and, and, and doing things into uh, uh, in the modern economy. But then they made a big move into Apple, I believe, a few years ago. Uh, and then increasingly they've looked at businesses where they think that, you know, their tried and tested understanding of how markets work mm. uh, can reasonably sort of, you know, extrapolated and interpreted into how, given the connection economy is so much different from the industrial economy, there's a formula within the industrial, within the connection economy that they can master yeah. uh, and get to where they were prior to, you know, the, uh, uh, the, 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 the big change and everything that's going on. Mm. So. Okay. Thank you. So, uh, yeah, right. So, so that really is a, a kind of, you know, it worked nicer to sort of wrap around this topic that we're discussing now about what you really sell. And um, I've said previously that Hong Kong immigration, excuse me, the Hong Kong Visa Center sells peace of mind on the one hand or the ability to blame us if something goes wrong on the other. Mm. Um, and, uh, if you look at businesses today, modern businesses today that, that, that have been successful and have, dim, and have met their demise because they haven't adjusted or continue to be successful, uh, big brands can go on to become uh, what are known as purpose brands. Uh, and a, a purpose brand here, which is ultimately selling a job to be done, um, a purpose brand is, say, for example, IKEA. You know, my daughter moves into a new apartment when she starts her first year at university and all she's got is her basic bed linen that she brought from home. She needs to quickly fill that with uh, furniture and stuff to make a nest out of it during the four years of her studies and she's got a limited budget. Where's she going to go? 
uh, well, you know, that, that particular job that she needs to get done can readily be satisfied by a single visit to IKEA. So off she mm. goes. And, and if you look at IKEA's sort of mission, ultimately, that's what they're all about, right? Um, so, so they could very well be described as a, a, a purpose brand. Um, another purpose brand who knows exactly what they're selling is Starbucks. Uh, yeah, sure. On the one hand, what you're doing is you're buying coffee from Starbucks, but in the final analysis, what Starbucks have done is that they've been able to compete against non-consumption and develop something called a third space. It used to be you had home and work. Uh, Well, now you've got homework and Starbucks. Yep. So that's the purpose brand there. And um, Body Shop uh, is absolutely a purpose brand. You know uh, what you're getting when you uh, encounter that brand. The name itself tells you straight away. That, and and how, how many people mm-hmm. would buy into the philosophy of the body shop because it was originally started being uh, not tested on animals and it was really something that was sold based on its ethics until she sold it to a conglomerate that was less fussy about that sort of stuff. Well, that's right. And that's a classic example of you know buying a boutique brand that uh, has got everything going for it uh, and, and seeking to scale it, but scale it within the constructs of uh, a new owner mm. that only knows one way of doing business. Mm. And that actually is another another really good sort of segue into the next purpose brand that sadly is no longer with us, uh, but it was certainly around when I needed it, and that is um, uh, Toys R Us. <laughs> what about the tie shop? Me. Is that still around? Uh, well, that's... No, no, no. That, uh, the, occasionally I see it at an airport, you know, in some far-flung place uh, where perhaps, you know, the communications back to HQ have not quite, uh, you know, reached yet. And mm-hmm. uh, uh, those uh, franchisees in, uh, in, in, in upper Nairobi somewhere are uh, still uh, <laughs> uh, doing their thing nicely. <laughs> where it's 45 degrees and the last thing anybody thinks about <laughs> is wearing a tie. <laughs> it's like a tie. <laughs> yeah, but it's air conditioning. It's air conditioning in the shop where you buy it, and that's all that counts, right? Absolutely. <laughs> anyway, Toys R Us. So, uh, yeah, they're, they're a fantastic purpose brand, right? Because kids' birthday, Christmas is coming, want to get that out of the way. Hey, kids, let's go. Toys R Us, yay, day out. You know, fantastic. Every parent, uh, uh, I think, will attest to the joy that uh, a uh, visit to Toys R Us can make for family uh, blessings. Mm. Um, some others quickly, H&R Block, uh, for your American listeners, everybody knows what that brand's all about, it's all about any tax done. DHL, uh, everybody knows what that is, that's about getting from here to there quickly, uh, no. getting stuff from here to there quickly. So these are all purpose brands, yeah. Now, now I've, I've got two questions. One is, while we're on, on brands like that, bookstores, how, how are they eventually going to manage the transition to people's laziness and reading on on devices, and, and and also, I think it's the cost of bloody books and the rapacious nature of publishers, by and large, that have put uh, bookstores and book chains in, into the ground. But how do they transition, or do they just go the way of those companies that used to print uh, film and your photos? No, I, I, I think what's going to happen is that we're going to find bookshops are still around and available, but they will be as venerated and as infrequently 
found as you see antique bookshops today. Wow. That is, there will be, there's always going to be interest in the printed word and there's always going to be human interest in accessing those books because it, it, it you know, it's a very tactile experience, isn't it? Mm. And, and it, uh, books, physical books mean so much to so many people. Uh, and even though you can have the convenience of, of smartphone access to every every book you, you can possibly want to read today, um, there's still nothing that can replace the experience of of, of, of owning the book and the smell and you know, the satisfaction of putting it down when it's finished and leaning back in the chair and going, "Wow, wasn't that a thrilling ride?" You know, all of that is is part is part of our sort of cultural heritage, mm. and so there's always going to be a role for for for, for bookshops, and I think that's that's what we will see. Um, I think in many ways it'll be like the renaissance of vinyl again. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, uh, a lot of people have said it's all well and good having access to the technology like this and the sounds and whatever, but I want, I want something a little bit better. And, you know, the grass is always greener on the other side and that gives a different experience and it's an experience that people want. Uh, but uh, so as, you, as you know, I've got vinyl in the studio. I've got two turntables. Um, and yeah. whilst, vinyl is available in some places trying to find the turntables is a little bit more difficult so you know there there may be a a, a retro desire to um to own things and you know you can find collections of lps from people selling secondhand finding the technology is a little bit more difficult because they become outdated um but my my second question my second question to you was really about the connection economy and is it bulletproof to the to the the likes of say Trump for example now if in a in a old industrial way we would import goods or export goods and they now depending on the whims of the orange head cheeto are subject to taxation and all sorts of other stuff in your connection economy business that's selling services is it more bulletproof when it comes to the whims of people doing that sort of stuff? Well, uh, if you're, if you, if you take the view, and all I can do is speak to the application of intelligent content marketing, in the context of providing a professional service. Mm. Um, I can see, I can see it applicable to, to, to so many realms of economic activity, but, but obviously I can speak about, speak with confidence uh, to is my own experience and in my own experience you know what you can do if you're delivering your service essentially entirely digitally or occasionally in person you know uh, one-to-one in, in, in a certain geography what, what you can do to make it so-called bulletproof is to put yourself in legally in a decent jurisdiction to operate your business from a um, uh, place that's got rule of law, uh, something somewhere that is not in the country that you're afraid is going to negatively impact the way that you operate. Uh, and then you can have your service provide, your service delivery personnel, let's put them that way, let's describe them that way. You can have them in, in countries that are not in the country that uh, you're struggling you know, to um, sort of deal with and you're concerned about. Uh, uh, and then via that sort of infrastructure that doesn't t- doesn't touch and concern the country where you're you know you're, that that you are concerned about, uh, you're in a position to use the power of the web to deliver the value that you're all about, um, and not have to be worried about what you know people with orange hair might be doing at any one point mm. in time in their political shenanigans. Mm. Okay. And uh, where are we going to next, sir? Are we on to the next slide? Or are we saving that for next week? Well, 
Uh, I think it's probably a good uh, good place to uh, bring it to a close in terms of um, knowing what you really sell. Next week, we can talk about uh, selling stuff that your competitors can't. Mr. Barnes, you have an outro. <laughs> you have an absolutely fantastic week, sir. And uh, I shall outro you with one of my own homemade adverts because, of course, that's how I like to roll. I am. We'll speak next week, sir. Every day, Digital Bacon FM. I hope you've enjoyed today's podcast. Leave us a comment with your thoughts on it and please join us for the next episode for a discussion on how to sell stuff your competitors can't. Mm-hmm.